Welcome to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we help online coaches learn how to elevate their brand, become the experts in their industries, so they can bring in more clients and create a life they want. I am your host, Chris Anderson. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review, and together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Elevate Your Brand. I am Chris Anderson, your host. Looking forward to today's uh, episode, and it's a little bit different. Um, you know, we talked to a lot of financial coaches, business coaches, things of that nature, successful entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, and this one's no different. Um, just in a different field that we haven't really talked a whole lot in. So the world of wine, uh, and I'm excited for that. My wife and I like wine. So today's guest, he is the best-selling author of Drinking and Knowing Things. He's a certified sommelier with the Guild of Master Sommeliers. He's a certified wine specialist and a master of wine candidate with the Institute of Masters of Wine. So he runs a widely popular Drinking and Knowing Things wine blog, which has adapted into multiple books uh, that provides a lot of different uh, wine recommendations. And he is also the founder of, and I'm, I hope I pronounced this right, uh, Bhutan Wine Company, and is leading the development of the wine industry in the magical area of the Himalayan country. And on top of that, he owns an award-winning SoCal Rum Company. So if you're looking for where the rum went, Johnny, uh, there it is. And uh, it was actually recently awarded the highest point score in history for any silver rum. So uh, super excited to have Michael Michael Jurgens on the show today. Um, he does a whole lot of other things, and, and you'll have to check out what he does. But um, his his long list of accolades could take the whole the whole episode. So uh, we'll stop there. And, and Michael MJ, welcome to the show. What's up, Chris? Glad to be here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to have you on here. Uh, we were just chatting a little bit before uh, hit record of just travels and future plans and ideas and all that. And so it's it's cool to kind of get in your mind a little bit and excited for you to share more with the audience. So um, I guess first, just real quick, if you would, just high level, like what got you into all the wine industry, rum industry, and you know what are you working on right now? So I got when I was about 22, my dad had been on a, a business trip to Italy. And while he was there as a present, somebody had given him this old bottle of Italian wine and he brought it home. And uh, and he, he doesn't know anything about wine. I didn't know anything about wine. He goes, I got this bottle of wine, Mike, let's drink it. And I go, <laughs> I don't drink wine, dad. Like I'm a punk rock skateboard kid. You know, I'm drinking <laughs> Mexican beer and tequila shots, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I, I could care less about wine. Your know, wine's for sissies. And, uh, and so, but he, he talked to me into drinking it. We, we, poured it into red solo cups and we sat in the garage you know, <laughs> this, drinking this Gatinara from 1975, which I remember everything about this moment, by the way. Huh. Um, and like that kind of flipped a switch on in my brain that said, Oh, I, I can see why people care about wine. Like I didn't know about it, but it was, it was sort of like an enlightening moment. And I think that there are certain things that our brains are sort of neurologically wired to do. Um, like running, for example, mm -hmm. you know, we ran down prey for 50,000 years, like in our brains, there's something that says you should go for a long run. <laughs> and uh, occasionally, you know, that switch flips. And then next thing you know, you're a marathon runner, you know, you're mm -hmm. spending all your time going, going out. Wine is one of those. It's been around for so many thousands of years that that was what flipped my switch on. 
And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just kind of continued to explore that for a number of years uh, and then got serious about it probably about when I was maybe 40. Okay. Um, I said, you know what, this is, this is interesting enough to, to spend a lifetime doing. So that's awesome. And, and, and that's in. crazy too. At 40, you said basically kind of started that wine journey. Is that correct? Did I understand that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I dabbled, dabbled. <laughs> yeah. for, for, you know, a number of years. And then at, at around 40, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get serious about this. And I did. Awesome. And that's, that's so cool. And that just shows like, it doesn't matter, you know, what age you don't have to be 16 to become successful in something. Uh, and, and really, I mean, just with your accolades, like at starting at 40, taking it serious and you're able to succeed and, and get do and, and be doing what you're doing is it's cool. So at any time you can decide to really get serious about something and make it happen, which I think is really awesome. But you know what? I, I, and I totally agree with that, by the way. And you look at like Grandma Moses, you know, who started painting when she was, you know, a billion years old or whatever it was. <laughs> right. Um, but I think more important than that, like for me, you know, I came up, you know, a partner at a global consulting firm mm-hmm. and, and coming up, there's this sort of chasing of stuff and mm. chasing of status and chasing of the next level. And that becomes, particularly in the corporate world, that becomes kind of how you live. And I made a conscious decision probably about 13 or 14 years ago to stop chasing stuff and only do this is, these are my words, by the way, Yeah, uh, this is my mantra that I came up with. I only want to do epic shit with cool people. Nice. And, and so, so like, if it's not that, like, that's my litmus test. If it's not that I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so um, when I dove into the wine thing head first, it wasn't because I thought it was going to make me a billionaire or lead me all these places. It was truly because it was epic shit with cool people. And I got to travel <laughs> the world and do all this crazy stuff. And, and through that mm-hmm. also I was successful. And I, and I think that we can all sort of benefit a little bit from that. You know, if you're doing something for the right reasons, success is a lot easier to find. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It's like the whole thing with elevate, you know, helping people with video podcast production. Like we're a part of someone else's ability to impact people. Yeah. And it's cool to be kind of in the background, pushing, helping them push themselves higher to then reach more people to make a, a more positive impact. And so, uh, yeah, I think that goes without saying kind of, is just, you know, the passion is there, the, the right reasons to doing things, um, and sticking to that, I think it's a big thing you said as well, because we can get caught up in, you know, more money or more things. And then we kind of lose sight of, of the reason we started, uh, the endeavors to begin with. Well, in the bar moves too, right? Yep, so you, yep. know, you, you make a billion dollars in Bitcoin, but the dude next to you made $2 billion in Bitcoin. And so now you're a failure because you only <laughs> made a billion, like, right. like the, the, the arbitrariness of six of how you measure success Mm-hmm. Um, you know, will will impact your state of mind. And if it for me, I'm like, did it was it epic? Was it with cool people? Right. Yeah. Success. You know. Yeah. And, and with and with that, I've done some stuff that um, you know, was epic and was with cool people, but wasn't necessarily fun. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, like I ran a marathon at the South Pole and I almost died. Oh and, wow. Um. And coming out of it, it was a pretty profound experience. But I'll tell you what, during it, I wasn't having a lot of fun. No, yeah, that's crazy. The North Pole? South Pole. South Pole, sorry. Yeah. The South Pole, geez. I yeah. mean, I've run marathons. I can't imagine doing it 
in the yeah, South Yeah, ne- negative 30 degrees, 50 mile an hour winds, blizzard. Like I got lost on a glacier. Oh no. Awful. But, but you know, and you, and I, and I, I finished, but barely. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so you would, would I hold that up as, Oh, look at this success. I don't know. That it was like, <laughs> but it was, it was profound. And it was like this experience that I'll treasure the rest of my life. Mm, right. So yeah. like if I was measuring it by a certain arbitrary time, yeah, I would have ca- called it a failure. You know? <laughs> right. That's but I wasn't it. measuring it by that. I was measuring it by, did you have this epic experience with some cool people? And I did. Yeah. And I think, yeah, how we measure the success matters, like you're saying. And I, I think that's a great thing to remember, especially early on in entrepreneur, like because there's so much ups and downs and, and quote unquote failures and, and learning lessons, which I mean, that's all failure is, is just a learning lesson. But it can I mean, if you don't have the right metric, you end up comparing or yeah, you end up comparing yourself to other people, which it just brings you down. So having that good litmus test of what you're doing, like, you know, did, did I, did I, you know, do something to help someone else today? Like did my content provide value instead of like how much money did I make or, you know, all that. Um, so I think that's a huge, a huge thing to remember, especially early on in our journeys. Um, and I'm well, sure go ahead. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's another analogy from, from that race that, that kind of, to me, epitomizes the entrepreneurial journey, which is, uh, around about mile 13 my goggles froze over and i and i couldn't see but they told us don't take your goggles off because you'll go snow blind Mm. and i was running in this little trench and on either side there were the snow was banked up a little bit higher but i couldn't see but i knew as long as i stayed in the trench i was okay so what i started to do is i was just running blind and i would run until i got outside of the trench and i would hit the snowbank and i would fall down then I would pick myself up and I would reorient and I would run again blind until I hit something and then I would fall down. And I did this for about three or four miles and um, to the point where the people behind me thought I was having like seizures or something. And they reported me to the medics. Like you think something's wrong with this guy. (sighs) Um, But to me, that's, that almost feels like, like certain entrepreneurial journeys, certainly like what I'm trying to do in the Himalayas. Mm. It's you're running blind (laughs) and you're making progress, but then you hit something, you fall down, you pick yourself up and you reorient yeah. and you start running again. And guess what? You're going to hit something else. You're going to fall down. And the key is pick yourself up, reorient mm-hmm. and keep going. hundred percent. That's, that's such a good entrepreneurialism in a nutshell. Yeah. That's such a good, you know, picture and visual, visualization of, of entrepreneurship for sure. Yeah. Uh, getting back up after, you know, knocking yourself down because you don't know where in the world you're going and you're trying you to figure it out. Keep charging ahead. I yeah. don't know what's going to happen, but it's probably going to hurt. Right. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, you know, right there, you mentioned, you know, what you're doing in the Himalayas. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And I'd love to hear kind of how that journey is going and, and things that you've overcome already with that. Yeah, so the, the Kingdom of Bhutan is a small uh, mountain kingdom. It's tucked in between Tibet and Nepal in okay. the Himalayas. And they are sort of widely regarded as um, one of the best places on earth for sustainable agriculture. Oh, they're, wow. the, okay. they're the only carbon negative country on the planet. Um, and what they do is very sort of harmonious with the environment. And they grow some of the world's best crops there in hmm. odd verticals like red rice or cardamom or the best stuff comes from Bhutan. Anyway, so I had been there. I went there actually to run a marathon in the Himalayas. <laughs> um, and uh, and while I was there, I just assumed because they grow all this great stuff 
that they grew grapes, wine grapes. And so I was asking everybody, hey, I want to see the vineyards before I leave because I'm a wine geek. And like, I think you guys probably are doing some really awesome stuff. And it uh, turned out they didn't have any. Huh. Um, for, for whatever reason, grapes didn't grow there organically like they did in many other regions. And when the Roman army or Marco Polo marched around the world, they never went to Bhutan. So they never brought <laughs> grapes there. So, um, so once I found out that they didn't have this, I basically kind of lit the country up a little bit like, Hey, you guys are screwing up. You should totally do this. You're, you're wasting this magnificent natural resource that you've mm-hmm. been granted. You should do something with this. And I, and I, I believed it. I was passionate. Yeah. I didn't set out to do it myself. I just thought they should do it because yeah. it would be cool. And so that led to, you know, a couple of years worth of conversations about what I thought they ought to do. And inevitably they concluded, we want to do this. And then they asked me if I would help them. And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) Epic shit with cool people, right? Yeah. How much more epic in the wine space is that? Like you get to invent an entire country's wine industry and figure out, are we going to do sparkling wine or sweet wine or red wines or white wines or what? Right. what bottle sizes do we use and what blends and what are the rules? Wow. So, yeah, so that that's kind of how I got involved in it. And uh, it's been great. We'll do our first harvest next year. Oh, wow. Cool. So how long does that take to be able to, you know, from start to harvest, I guess? It takes anywhere from three to five years for a vineyard to oh, come wow. out. wow. Okay. So I have six vineyards that are five years old and I have two vineyards that are three years old. Okay. And so... They're about ready. We, we probably could have made some wine this year, but um, there was still some pandemic pressures and mm-hmm. stuff on on um, travel. And so I just said, you know, we'll do it next year. The other thing is, I think the last time that a country that, that had never made wine, like invented a wine industry and made wine for the very first time, the last time that that happened was in New Zealand in like the mid 1800s. Like this, <laughs> this has not happened in yeah. a while. Uh, and it's a pretty historic thing, both for the country and for the wine, the global wine industry. Yeah. So I, I wanted to also do it right. I didn't want to try mm-hmm. to rush it. So for could have sure. done it this year. We're going to do it next year. Um, awesome. Make so a how, documentary about it. Yeah, cool. I was going to say, okay, that's going to say, how are you marketing that, that, you know, this whole launch of a new wine in a new country's wine? Like how, what are your plans with that? How are you getting it out there? Talking to guys like you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Actually, we're doing, we, yeah, I've been doing interviews around the world um, for actually a couple of years now on the topic because there's a lot of, a lot of people are interested in just, is this possible? This hasn't been done in 200 years. Like, wow. Yeah. How, you know, how do we do this? And so, um, yeah, have, have, have had a, a lot of support from the global wine community. That's Certainly awesome. my, my day job. Um, running the global wine consulting mm-hmm. practice for a large company. I have a lot of global contacts and, and That's stuff, cool. but uh, yeah, we think it's going to be, here's, here's what I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how the wine's going to taste. <laughs> That's true. You, yeah. You won't, well, you want it now until after you make it, I guess. Until yeah. after you make it. So like the last <laughs> seven or eight years, we've been basing all of this on the Mike Jurgens theory that Bhutan can produce great wine, but that's, that's an open question still that we're going to solve. We'll find <laughs> out next year. And, I, and 
so with that, are you guys focusing on a certain, I know you said it, it could have been all sorts of sparkling, whatever. Did you, did you land on a certain type of wine? You're trying or? to figure that out. So like okay. Bouton, the, the low end of the country is about 500 feet in altitude. Okay. And the high, the North side of the country is like 27,000 feet in altitude. Okay. And that distance is only like 400 miles. Wow. So there's a whole bunch of different climate zones from jungle up to glacier, you know, in the country. And so what we did was we planted a bunch of different stuff at a bunch of different altitudes mm. with the intent that probably 70% of it's not going to work. Okay. Um, and which is fine. I, I, I am trying to figure out what does work. Um, yeah. And so like one of our, matter of fact, I, I was talking on Sunday to one of our vineyard managers and it looks like at that particular vineyard, we're going to go all in on Malbec and Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Those two grapes are growing really, really well there. And there's some other grapes like Chardonnay that we uh -huh. have planted there that aren't growing at all. Wow. Which is fine. Okay. So let's yeah. get rid of the Chardonnay. We'll go yeah. down on Malbec and cool. Cool. Uh, and I, I anticipate that, you know, over the next 50 years, the, the country will continue to really sort of dial in what works perfectly well where and uh -huh. i'll be dead but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, no this is a long-term play yeah for, for the country that's and it just that's really cool and and i'm sure the process i'm sure you've had a lot of obstacles like on this entrepreneurial journey just in itself that you've had to overcome you can't uh, even begin to imagine I mean, you're bringing wine to a uh, whole country that's never done it there so like what have been some of the big obstacles and and how'd you overcome them well so um you certainly have the obstacles of trying to get a country committed to a vision. Uh -huh. So there was a whole bunch of stuff on the front end of me explaining like why wine's important, why people care about wine, um, why it's great for a country to create a high value export product that goes out to the world with the name of where it came from on the bottle. And then people interact with, I mean, shit, you put it in your body. Like, yeah. that's, that's, you're interacting with that product like pretty intimately. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, th there was the front end piece, so the strategy piece, mm -hmm. the, the tactics of doing things like trying to get foreign species into a country without screwing up the existing species in oh, the wow. country yeah. um, and managing that. Uh, we have interesting pests and diseases, which are new. Um, oh. Like, uh, we have monkeys. <laughs> no, not a lot of monkey problems in Napa or, no, in, yeah. or matter of fact. So I have a, I have, I get standing updates every morning from all of our vineyards. And then we have a, like a weekly call with everybody. And so this, on this week's call on Sunday, we were running through the different vineyards and they're like, okay, we got this problem in this one vineyard. And I go, okay, what's the problem? And they're like, yeah, uh, we now have bears. Oh, geez. and so like we didn't the bears figured out, oh, there's some grapes growing over here and we like grapes. And so wow. now I have to solve for the bear problem Jeez. at one of our vineyards. Wow. And I'm doing all this, obviously, from the other side of the world, um, mm -hmm. which so there's a geography and a time zone issue. And like there's so how do you balance all that? How do you I mean, how do you stay on it all? So the good news is, is we have a really great team in the country. So we have about a hundred people there. Um, and that, uh, I have a French guy who is our vineyard operations leader who really kind of knows grapes. 
and then I have our our chief operating officer over there um, is a Bhutanese person who really knows how to get stuff done in the country. Cool. Um, and so you know the the combination of those two allows me a lot of leverage. Like mm -hmm. their their goal is solve for this stuff, bring me the problems that that aren't that they can't solve for locally, and then we'll we'll figure out how to do that as a, as a team. Mm. So with, without them, like there's no way this could be done. There's yeah. Impossible. And that's, I mean, yeah, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of solopreneurs out there still starting out. And, and so don't get discouraged if you don't have a team, but once you're able to get that point, and even if it's someone who sees your vision and, and is volunteering to help you, like the right people make such a big difference in accomplishing your goals. Even if it's just, if you have someone who, is of the same mindset who's going towards their goals and you guys just network to support one another. That can even be a huge teammate to have just in the, in the beginning stages because you guys can support and just encourage one another um, until you can get to the point where you have, you know, the, the people on your team actually doing different parts of the, of the job and, and of the business. So um, it can be done at any level. It looks different uh, at the level you're at, but I think, um, you know, we can, we can only go so far by ourselves. Uh, we go a lot farther with, with other people. Well, and I think for us, um, the, the key to making that happen was to really communicate the vision in a way that people can get their hands around. And this whole mm. idea of like, we're going to do something that hasn't been done in 200 years. And we think it's going to be really bitching because, <laughs> uh, uh, it's Bhutan, uh, right. you know, and, and I have people to your point uh, from a networking perspective, I have people that are absolutely like willing to help me like the monkey thing. Here's a perfect yeah. example. I was reaching out around the globe to say like, who's solving the monkey problem. And I got yeah. this winery in South Africa where the, the, the owner like reached out to me had somehow heard through the grapevine that like <laughs> reached out and said, okay, this is, we have baboons in our vineyard. Here's exactly how we solve for them. You know, here's our oh. protocols. Um, now it turns out their protocols were, shoot the baboons with paintball guns. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, I don't know that we'll deploy that particular monkey management protocol. Uh, but uh, but to your point, yeah, like they, that person had no skin in the game other than yeah. these guys are doing something really, really cool and I want to help them. Yeah. Um, but we got there by being able to communicate this vision globally in a way that, that was interesting and, and people want to help. Yeah, which is, that's really neat because, you know, no matter what you're doing, there's so many people and there's so much room in markets. I mean, you might, people might say it's saturated or you think it's saturated, but there is really, there's so much room for everybody kind of to, to play in the sandbox. And, and, and like that, just an example of them reaching out to help, uh, not yeah. seeking anything. Cause I mean, you have the people of the mindset who'd be like, Oh, I hope the monkeys eat all their grapes. So right. we don't have to worry about it, but that wasn't the case, uh, which is a really cool thing. Um, have you had any negative kind of, and you don't have to mention names, but like anything that's kind of someone tried to hinder your uh, plans with this. I'm just curious. I, I don't know that I've had any any people that have sort of really been negative about it or tried to hinder. Mm -hmm. I have had skepticism. OK, yeah. Um, and so particularly around things like, dude, it's the Himalayas. And, and when you think about the Himalayas in your head, you probably think of, you know, Yeti and glaciers <laughs> and snowmen and uh, salt. <laughs> Yeah, salt and, and like you don't necessarily get a vision of Na Napa Valley and these large, you know, terraces with vines and stuff. And uh -huh. so 
and and there's some merit to that. I think it the the nuances of the way that the country is laid out, like altitude wise, mm. part of it does look like that, but part yeah. of it doesn't. And if you haven't been there, you don't know. And so it's easy for you to sit there and and say, well, this will never work. And here's why. And I'm like, well, have you been to Bhutan? And they're like, no. Like, you look at any pictures of Bhutan? No. You done any study on it? No. Okay, so you're just sitting on the on the sidelines throwing rocks. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> right. Go ahead. But yeah. we're, while you're throwing rocks, I'm going to be planting more Merlot over here mm-hmm. and trying to make some shit happen. Right. Absolutely. It's like the quote I've heard. You know, if, if you won't go to them for advice, then don't take their criticism to heart. Like if, if they're not someone you'd great. listen to, then just it's whatever. It's like okay, you just don't understand. It's cool and, and kind of move on. Yeah. It's it's they're making noise and cool. Yeah. And, but but I think for the most part, I, I think people have been just because it's a cool concept and vision and idea. And it also mm-hmm. doesn't, it's not really biting into anybody else's market. You're like, there, there's nobody doing this in the Himalayas. So right. if I do it, like it doesn't threaten Robert Mondavi in Napa, you know, that I right. do it at all. Uh, and they're like, ah, oh, this is, this is really neat. Let's yeah. see what, what could happen. That so. is cool. That is, I mean, I think it's, it's awesome to, I mean, you're, yeah, starting from scratch in a whole nother country. So that's, that's really a neat, uh, and I'm excited to see them, uh, in the stores. Do you, do you plan on putting them in big box stores right away or is it, how's, how's that work? I mean, I, in my, what I believe mm-hmm. is that I believe if we do this right, um, and we can really capture the essence of Bhutan, the wines are going to be really high quality. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking it's going to be 150 to 250 dollar bottle mm-hmm. uh, and quantities will be limited so we'll probably do sort of more allocation basis to higher-end restaurants and small specialty retailers probably won't hit the big box guys uh if at some point we get the volumes that 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 we can great yeah. um my guess is that's probably not going to happen for at least a decade gotcha but that's cool it's still a neat process and, and getting it out there and so, you know, with that, I mean, if you could, you know, if you could go back, you know, whatever, 30 years, what, what would you tell your younger self, you know, to, to maybe not specifically about wine, but just in general to help your journey? I think this, this whole, whole um, mindset shift of stop chasing stuff and start mm. chasing epic shit with cool people. Um, to me, that was really the inflection point where I, I was able to elevate my life in every single way possible. Mm. So I might tell myself that earlier, that being said, I don't know that I was ready to hear it when I was in my twenties. Good. Um, and so I think I had to go through what I went through in the journey to get my head to the point where I could even accept this, this idea. Yeah. Um, and I believe the universe kind of takes us on the path that we're supposed to go on. And so I think that for me, that that's what I needed to do to get to this point. Um, I, I, I remember 23 year old Mike, that kid was, a, <laughs> that kid was an asshole. <laughs> and he, had a, he had a lot of ego going uh, on. <laughs> Wasn't a good listener, <laughs> you know, doing his, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah, yeah. Well, turns out your own thing, uh, you know, you, you run in and fall down a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's, I think that's a huge, huge point because yeah, you know, you, we, we think, yeah, if I could go back, I would tell myself, you know, just get started right away. Um, but I think like to your point, if we would have started right away, like if we were able to go back and tell ourselves that, I don't know 
how it would turn out because our journey is such a part of where we are now. Like I think of mine, like, you know, I, I say this, I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, I, I tell myself, you know, don't go to college, you know, just start a business right away. But it's like, you know, going to college was a huge part of my story, helping me overcome a lot of mental and, and spiritual and emotional things. And then but I'm like, but the debt wasn't worth it. And I was like, but it's, it's teaching me to be better with finances and it'll help me show other people the different options that it doesn't have to be just college. So like my journey, like if I wouldn't have would look different now and maybe not as successful as it could have been, or as it, uh, if I wouldn't have went there. So to, I think that's a great point to remember, like the journey is, you know, the, the biggest part of how we got to where we are right now. Not to forget that, even though sometimes it's not the best, <laughs> it's still gotten us where we are. Totally. And the, the, the analogy that I sometimes use is the, like the whitewater kayaking analogy, which is like life is moving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're, 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 you're not going to stop, you know, time mm. <laughs> and the universe going where it's going to go. Um, and you can get your kayak and you can get in the middle and you can try to steer a little bit and paddle a little bit, but if you fight it, you can't paddle upstream. If you try <laughs> to fight it too much, you're going to get slammed into the rocks. Your best bet is to just, take the ride, let it go where you're supposed to let it take you where you're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Try to steer around the big obstacles and take as few lumps as humanly possible. <laughs> but, but the second you think you're controlling anything, you're high, you know, yeah. you're yeah. not the, exactly. the world. You do not control the world. <laughs> so true. And that's, that's a good analogy too, because, you know, I've been whitewater rafting once and, you know, you go through the rapid then it, and it, you know, it's, it, it it seems like it goes forever, but then it's so short. And then you, you have some moments of calm and you can kind of re recollect yeah. your, your, you know, your senses and, and get ready. And then, you know, here comes the next rapids. Uh, and, and so it's kind of like life, you have those moments and, yep. um, as you continue to, to go down. So I, I think that's a great analogy and a good one to kind of wrap things up, you know, where can people, you know, connect with you more to stay uh, in touch with what you're doing over in Bataan and, and everything you've got going on. I'd love to, to have that out there for people. Yeah. So uh, if you go to drinking and knowing things.com um, you can certainly sign up for uh, my, my wine newsletter. You can, ha it has links to all the books that I've written um, a little bit about me. Um, you can contact me through there. You can go to butanwine.com, which is the, um, the site that's specifically for the Bhutanese wine project um, or follow us on Instagram, Bhutan wine um, and SoCal rum, all SoCalRum.com and <laughs> SoCal rum. Like we're, we're not very creative marketers, but it's, we're, we're easy to find. Um, sure. And yeah, I, like if, if people are at all interested in any of the stuff, happy, happy to always respond to emails or direct messages or whatever. Awesome. I think we're doing some cool stuff and yeah. we're having a good time. Absolutely. So yeah, make sure you guys get connected, check out what they're doing and uh, just follow that journey. I think it's an exciting thing, uh, what you guys are doing, MJ, and, and I'm excited to to continue to watch that. And, and thank you so much for, for being on the show and, and, you know, now having this connection together, I look forward to, to everything. So. Oh, thanks for having me on and give me a shot to, uh, to chat about stuff I like talking about. So absolutely. Absolutely. It. Yeah. And, and if you guys found this interesting, you know, you took those golden nuggets away, make sure you like, and subscribe, uh, and send this to somebody who might be, you know, going through something or having ideas to start something and, and are on the fence, you know, because together we can reach more people. And we can make a better difference together instead of singularly. So, um, but until next time, guys, go out there and continue to elevate.
And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well. 